This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing, timely, and practical for listeners. I'm here with Allison, and we're going to talk to you today about some common questions that we have from clients and potential clients uh, regarding the divorce process. And hopefully, uh, one of these might be your question that you have, and we'll provide you with an answer. One of the frequent questions that we get is, how much is my divorce going to cost? And unfortunately, it's really, really difficult for us to uh, give you a ballpark on what that's going to cost. We can tell you that it's um, significantly impacted on the attorney that your spouse hires. It's impacted uh, based upon the mental health, really, of your partner uh, or spouse, because if they have a mental illness and we're going to be combating that in the litigation, uh, that adds uh, a derivative of an expense on top of it. But we can tell you that the average cost of a divorce in the United States without children and just with basic assets is about $15,000. We often tell our clients to take the cost of their divorce and double it if they want to know some sort of ballpark area as to how much it's going to cost. And then the other question that we often Often get is about the retainer. Yeah, the retainer. Uh, the biggest questions regarding the retainer is, uh, what does it cover? You know, you pay this retainer, and what is that going? How does that work? Well, essentially, what a retainer is is it's a, a lump sum payment that you make to your attorney's office, and once you start the case, you'll get invoices every single month, and you'll be able to review those invoices. And the retainer is used to pay each one of those invoices on a month-to-month basis depending on how long your case lasts, what the issues are, how complicated it becomes, you may be asked for an additional retainer throughout the process. And you'll hear um, some lawyers, when you talk to them, will quote you a very small retainer, $1,500, $2,000, whatever. In the, in the scheme of things, we know that that's not going to get you very many hours. So at our firm, we make sure that we manage your expectations and so that you know what it's going to cost uh, because there are a lot of lawyers out there that will tell you that the retainer is going to be low and you're just going to end up with a much higher bill uh, than what you thought you were going to get. And so we try to ballpark your case and take an appropriate uh, retainer so that you're covered enough for a couple of months to uh, have your costs paid. The other question that we get from clients is really how to pay it. You can always pay it on a credit card check. Uh, but some people often want to know, should they take it out of the joint account? Should they put it on a joint credit card? What should they actually do in order to get the retainer paid? Well, with respect to the retainer, you can certainly take it out of a joint account. I wouldn't take more than half of that joint account at the beginning of a case. I don't think that that's a good way to start off. Uh, Certainly getting a credit card, uh, if you're the spouse that is the non-income earning spouse, you may want to consider that anyways, developing your own credit. And then uh, friends and family often step in to help and assist with the retainer. Another common question that we have uh, posed to us a lot of times is, can you represent both of us? And the simple answer to that is no. 
We cannot, as lawyers, represent both parties to the transaction. Uh, You'll hear people say, well, we use the same lawyer. Well, they really didn't. That lawyer represented one of the parties and didn't represent the other party. So there's never a situation where the divorce lawyer can represent both parties. That's just a big no-no for us, and we're not allowed to do it. We're also not allowed to collect contingency fees on divorce cases either. So people wonder why we charge hourly, and that's because we're mandated mandated by the state bar to do that. Exactly. Uh, Certainly there could be a flat fee associated with some work, especially estate planning type work, but in our world, it's definitely by the hour. Another common question that we uh, hear from clients and potential clients is how is the judge selected and who is going to be the judge on my case? And will they always be the judge on my case? Well, the judge is selected once you file and it's a round robin approach uh, to assigning judges to different cases. Uh, You can't get a new judge. It's not that easy. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that if they're not getting the result that they want, they just want to switch the judge, but that's not a possibility. Uh, And certainly uh, a good attorney should be able to tell you exactly what that judge uh, does, thinks, experiences that they've had with that judge, and that's really important to hiring your attorney. And as Allison indicated, the judge is really just selected by a lottery system and to do otherwise would be forum and judge shopping. And we're not allowed to do that. So when a new case is filed, it's just a random assignment uh, of that case to that particular judge. The only time that you can ever really try to get a new judge is to try to disqualify the judge based on some sort of uh, bias or if the judge knows one of the parties. And that's, uh, as Allison indicated, uh, really hard to do. Uh, Another common question that we have often in custody cases is, can I get the six months waived? Uh, There's a six-month waiting period if you have children, so you cannot get the divorce generally. Uh, You have to wait for the six months from the date that you filed the complaint starts the six months ticking. And so the question is, can you waive the six months rule? You certainly can. It would depend, again, on the judge and certainly the circumstances under which you're trying to waive the six-month rule. Um, For instance, it could be that it's uh, coming, the year's coming to a close and you want to file taxes separately, or perhaps one party needs to refinance the house, and so therefore we want to um, make sure that they're separated before they do that. There can be a lot of reasons, but it's got to be a good reason. Another uh, common question that we get uh, from clients and potential clients is, should I move out of the residence? And from our perspective, that really depends on whether or not you have kids. Mm -hmm. Because if you do have children, we want to make sure that you stay in the residence until we have a temporary order. If you don't have children, it really doesn't matter to us one way or or another. And we hear this uh, theme that people bring to us of, oh, I'm abandoning the house. Well, as long as you don't have kids, this abandonment issue really doesn't uh, pertain to you. But we do want you to stay in the house if you um, have children for various reasons so that we could set the parenting time schedule. Well, another question that I hear quite often is, uh, you know, everything is titled in his name or her name. And what does that mean for you? Uh, What we do in our divorce cases, I often joke, it's uh, that I divide by two for a living. But essentially, anything that you have acquired during your marriage, so since you said I do to the time that you're getting a divorce, is marital property. So regardless of who it's titled to or how that... um, asset might be positioned, it doesn't matter. You're still going to get your fair share of those assets. 
And Allison brings up a good point as it relates to inherited property or property that you owned prior to the marriage. Oftentimes people might uh, inherit money or property during the course of the marriage. And the question then becomes, have you kept it as separate property or have you commingled it sufficient to now that it looks like marital property? If you get the inheritance of $5,000 and you put it in a joint bank account, you have commingled that inheritance, which now makes it marital property. You can also keep it separate, but the court uh, could choose to invade your separate property in the event that there's need uh, on the part of the other uh, member of the relationship. If there's not enough marital assets to go around, they could invade that separate property. They also could invade it if the other spouse helped uh, with the contribution and the increase in the value of the property. I think another good question that we sometimes get is what is separate maintenance? And there's not often many reasons that I would do a separate maintenance case, which essentially means that we go through the entire process of a divorce, but you're still married. And so the instances in which I've done a separate maintenance agreement may be for religious reasons in which they don't want to have a divorce. Uh, I might do one if I need to make sure that the other party still has health insurance. Uh, and I might also do one if I'm trying to get a party to the 10 years for uh, division of their retirement account. Another question we often get is, can you change your uh, property settlement? You've entered into the judgment of divorce. It's been signed. It's been entered with the court. And you want to try to set aside the property settlement. The short answer to that is it's very, very difficult to set that aside. You have uh, restrictions on time when you can do it. And you have to prove uh, various um factors in terms of was there fraud? Uh, did somebody fail to disclose an asset? You might be able to get the case reopened for that, but you only have a certain period of time. But generally speaking, the property settlement in your judgment of divorce is non-modifiable. Uh, the other question that we often get is, can I change my custody or parenting time arrangement? Yeah, exactly. And that's really difficult. So I often tell parties, you know, once you put that custody and parenting time arrangement in place, short of your ex-spouse developing a heroin problem, uh, you're probably not going to be able to change it. So you want to make sure that that piece of your case is dealt with in a way that you can live with because you're going to have to live with it for some time. One final question that we get is, uh, when is my divorce going to be final? Uh, you filed a complaint for the divorce. Does that mean that you're divorced? And the answer to that is no. You're not divorced until the judgment of divorce is actually entered with the court. And what that looks like at the end of the case is it's a very short hearing. I often tell clients, if you blink, you might miss it. You have to go to court. You have to be on the record and give testimony that there's been a breakdown of your marriage relationship. You have to um, tell the court that you meet the jurisdictional requirements of being in the county for 10 days preceding the filing and in the state of Michigan for six months. And also that there's uh, that your spouse is not currently pregnant. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website, thackerslate.com, for additional information.